And we left off last week right around verse 13, Revelation 22. So should be finishing up the book of Revelation tonight, Lord willing, time willing. It's always kind of a bittersweet moment to finish up a book. Um, I love Revelation, and every time I finish a book, I always think, gosh, next book's never going to be as much fun. And Revelation has been a lot of fun, but at the same time, too, really looking forward to starting something next week, and it uh, should be pretty neat there, too, at the same time. So we've been in Revelation for quite some time. Does anybody remember when we started Revelation? What's that? September of 2002, actually, is when we started Revelation. So, so I never like to go too fast because you want to make sure you get all the points there. But... Um, so we're going to be picking up here in verse 13. Now, I have to be honest, this is kind of a sum-up message because as we get to the final thing here, we've kind of said this about Revelation, is once we really started hitting chapter 21, chapter 21 and 22 were all of eternity. And really at the end of verse 5 of chapter 22, we really ended our study into what heaven and eternity was like. So the last few verses here, really from about verse 6 to verse 21, has kind of been just the final points. And really even from verses 13 through 21, it's just kind of summing up a lot of the points that we hit. So we're going to go back and review some of the stuff that we went through way back in like Revelation 1, 2, and 3, which obviously with that being so many months ago, you probably don't remember that, which is okay. But there's a lot of good final points here that we need to hit. Now, Verse 13 is where we're picking it up. The last message here that we've been talking about were Jesus' final words. I see we get ready for his uh, end in the coming, I should say. So verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexual and moral and murderers and idolaters, whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. So, let's put this together here. First off, verse 13 is very important. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You've heard me make this point numerous times, so I'll just make it very quickly. When you know the end, you don't have to worry about the middle. So when it says right here that he's the Alpha and the Omega... The beginning and the end, the first and last. We know how the story ends. We have Revelation 21 and 22. When you know how the story ends, therefore you have nothing to be worried about in any way whatsoever. You're all familiar with this. That if I watch a movie, I get online to see how the movie ends before I watch it. Because I want to know how it ends. And if I'm watching a show with the boys, and this was just recently something I've seen before, I could see they were getting a little worked up. I said, don't worry about that. He makes it. I said, how do you know he makes it? Because I said, I've seen it. So no way to worry. Now that guy there, don't get attached to him because he doesn't make it. But that guy get attached to. So when you know how it ends, you don't have to worry about it. We know how the story ends, so we have nothing to worry about. So when you go home tonight and there's stress and worry, when you get up tomorrow and there's stress and worry, why are you worrying? You know how it ends. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now this is important too because this little passage here bears to be repeating also. Can you please turn to Isaiah chapter 44? This is an important point that we made when we first started going through the book of Revelation, and it's back in Isaiah 44. Because this idea is repeated numerous times that Christ is the first and the last. And now you may say, okay, why are we spending so much time on this? He talks about this in Revelation 22. He talks about this in Revelation 1. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. It's a pretty simple, straightforward point. Any time you see something in the Bible repeated again and again and again, God is doing it for a reason. Why is God doing it for a reason? Well, come here in Isaiah 44. Let's go ahead and start in Isaiah 44, uh, verse 6. 
Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last. Besides me there is no other God. And who can proclaim as I do? Now, that's exactly what we're talking about here. Now, this is a vital point. Because by Jesus saying, I'm the first and the last, in Revelation 1, 11, and Jesus saying, I'm the first and last, by Revelation 22, 13, what is he really claiming? He's claiming deity. He's claiming that he's God. Now, you may say, okay, why are we even talking about this point? We all agree with that. I would hope that all of us in this room agree with it. But you're going to go out into the world tomorrow, and you're going to run into a lot of people that don't agree with that. And so when this subject comes up of who Jesus is, Jesus is God, you're going to run into people, and they're going to say, well, is he really God? Jehovah Witnesses believe he's the first created being. You know, Mormons believe that he's the brother of Lucifer. Well, he's not God. Well, how do we know he's God? Well, he says it. Well, how do we know that he's claimed to be God? Because look here, once again, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, this is Jehovah, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. There is no other God beside me. So if God says beside me there's no other God, and Jesus says the same thing, that either means God is completely confused or they're both agreeing that they're one and the same. And that's the key point here. And I'm going to tell you right now, I have... I, I was about to use the word debate, and I always tell people don't debate, but I can't think of a better word. I have debated certain groups before, Jehovah Witnesses, etc., and when it comes to the deity of Jesus, I'll bring them to Isaiah 44, verse 6. I'll take them to Revelation 1, 11, and 22, 13, and I'll say to them, please explain this to me. If God says in Isaiah 44, 6, there's no other God but him, and Jesus says the exact same thing, well, then who's wrong? That shows there's an equality there. And this is vital. It is vital to know this and to understand. And we're going to jump ahead a little bit here in Revelation 22. Jump ahead, please, if you will, to verses 18 and 19. And this is why it's important to know this. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. I know good godly men that will not go anywhere near the book of Revelation because they're afraid of verses 18 and 19. And that just totally blows my mind because this book also keeps telling us if you do this book, how blessed you are. I tell you, I don't want to miss out on a blessing. But verses 18 and 19 are telling us is this book shows us who the nature of Jesus is. So when you change this book, you're changing the nature of who Jesus is. goes back to Revelation 1. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word revelation means unveiling. It carries this idea that there's this statue with a, with a curtain in front of it or a sheet or blanket over it, and you have no idea what the statue looks like. And just in an instant, they pull that sheet away, and the statue is unveiled. It's revealed. You learn more about who Jesus is in the book of Revelation than you probably do in the Gospels. Because his full nature is revealed in Revelation. Not only is he the savior of the world for our sins, but he's also the conquering king that's coming back to judge evil. This is fully revealed in Revelation. That's why the warning is here in verses 18 and 19. To change the book is to change the nature of Jesus. And guess what Satan has tried to do ever since Christ walked this earth? He's tried to change the nature of Jesus. You go into the world today and you ask them who Jesus is. Oh my goodness, you get so many different answers. He was a great moral man that taught a lot of good points. He was the son of God, like we believe. Oh no, he was the brother of Lucifer. No, he was the first created being of God. No, he was some crazy Jew that thought he was God. The nature of Jesus constantly trying to be changed. And this is why it's so vital for us as Christians to understand who Christ is. We have to understand the virgin birth. We have to understand that he is God in the flesh. We have to understand that he is God, part of the Trinity. Because if we take away the deity of Jesus, we just took away our Savior of our sins. Because if Jesus wasn't God, then how did he pay the price for our sins? The only person that could pay the price for our sins had to be the perfect sacrifice. And the only one that matches up to that is Christ himself. That's why it's so vital for us to understand who 
Jesus is, who the nature of Christ is. Because when you know who Christ is, then you have the full unveiling, the full revelation of who Jesus is. And we see this in the book of Revelation, verse 13. He is God. And the warning there in verses 18 and 19 is don't mess with who Christ is. He is God in the flesh that died for sins. Vital to know that. That is Christianity 101, but it's vital to know that and to be repeated. Do we have any quick questions, comments about the nature of Jesus and making sure that we understand that's what Revelation is trying to teach us here, who Christ is, the importance of that? We good? Okay, we're good. Let's move on then. Verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, some of your translations, if you've got good old King James there, it says happy. Happy are those who do his commandments. You know how simple that statement is? Here's a mind-blowing statement that's very, very simple. You know what I've noticed in my Christian walk? If I do what God has asked me to do, if I live my life according to the Bible, I'm happier. How simple is that? When I'm in sin, I'm not happy. When I'm following the commandments of God... I'm kind of happy. Now, it's not this false, fake happiness. It's a joy from my heart that I am blessed because I'm walking according to the commandments of God. Jesus said in John 13, he goes, Blessed are you if you do these things. See, a lot of times we learn about these things. We take notes on these things. We underline these things in our Bible. We highlight these things. We put them on little post-it notes and we put them on postcards and we memorize these things. We do everything but actually going out and doing those things. I've had this happen in counseling before. Well, I've said, you know what? The area you're struggling with, there's a great passage in Matthew 5. And even before I can get it out, I know where you're going, Pastor. I know Matthew 5 verse whatever. I know that. I, I have that up on my bathroom mirror. And I, I'm always thinking, then why aren't you doing it? One of the first verses I learned after I got saved was out of the book of James, saying something about, and it goes in this great detail of not being a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Boy, do you realize how many churches in America and Henry County around this area are full on Sundays of people being hearers of the word? We need more doers, not hearers. And what you have here in verse 14, blessed are those who do the commandments of God. That there's an obedience in doing it and following through and being obedient to what God said. Now, some of you may be looking at your Bibles right now and say, blessed are those who do the commandments. And you're saying, I don't see that in my Bible, right? Is anybody else saying that? Does anybody's Bibles in verse 14 say something about washing their robes? Yeah, that's the beauty of translations of the Bible. I'm talking about doing the commandments, and you guys are saying, I have no idea what he's talking about. If you look on your little footnotes there in verse 14, you probably have some little reference there that sometimes that phrase, doing his commandments, can also be translated washing their robes. Has that changed any of the things we're talking about? No, of course not. Because actually, how do you wash your robes? Wash your robes through what? Well, according to Revelation 7, verse 14, listen to this passage. These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the, in the blood of the Lamb. If you want your robes washed, it has to happen in the blood of Jesus. Well, how does it get done through the blood of Jesus? By accepting him as Christ and his Savior. So, blessed are those that also have Christ as their Savior. It's saying the same type of thing here. It's talking about being obedient to the Lamb and what he said. But real quick, before someone thinks I'm responsible to wash my own clothes. No, Revelation 7 makes it abundantly clear. Jesus does all the washing. And this is another thing of Christianity that has to be stressed again and again. And I, and I, run, I run into it still. I run into it with people that have been walking with the Lord for decades. I run into it in my own life. And I've taught over this, I don't know how many times, that there's this brief moment of where I have to clean myself up before I can go to Christ. And I still have those little moments of, okay, Lord, I know I've really, I've really been rough this week, Lord. I've really been rough. Let, let me go read some and pray some, and let me go find some nice old lady to help cross the street, and then you and I can sit down and make it right. Some type of penance that I have to do. Now, according to verse 14, he washes my clothes for me. I just take it to Christ and say, they're dirty. Again, my filthy rags, could you please wash them in the blood of Jesus? And that's exactly what 
He does. And he loves doing it. That's the picture of grace. His death on the cross takes care of it. What happens if you choose not to follow the commandments of Christ in obedience as your Savior? What happens if you choose not to have him wash your clothes? Well, verse 15, outsider dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Outside, meaning they're outside of heaven, which means they're in hell. This verse is vital. You know why verse 15 is so vital? This verse proves that not all dogs go to heaven. Oh, come on. That was a little funny. That was a little funny. You guys will use that sometime. You will, because outside are all dogs. I love that. I've been waiting for that one for a long time. Generally, when I have something like that, I've waited for so long, I screw up the punchline. So I'm really happy that that came out the other good. So anyway, now I've totally lost track. The point is, outside are these people, the people that chose not to have their robes washed, the people who are not being obedient. Now, before we sit here and say this isn't unfair, come on, if you've been with us through the study of Revelation, how many times have we talked about God's grace? I mean, I mean, God has been trying to tell us here for 22 chapters. Tribulation is coming. Death and destruction are coming. Turn and repent now. Turn and repent now. Hence verse 17, who let him who thirsts come, whoever desires let him take of the water of life freely. I mean, this is like a call to salvation. If you are thirsting for something deeper in life, the answer is found in Christ. How many of us know somebody that is searching for something bigger and better in life and they keep drinking at the wrong fountain again and again and again and again? The only way that thirst is going to be quenched is found in Jesus Christ. And look at this word right here, and it's vital. Let him take of the water of life freely. I love that part. That, that's the, that's the, the idea of grace and forgiveness and salvation. It's, it's free. Freely come to the Lord. Freely. In fact, Hebrews 3 keeps talking about this point again and again and again. It mentions this point that today is the day of salvation. I just ran into somebody not too long ago. And it's been a while since I've run into somebody like this where we talked about Christ, we talked about salvation, we talked about the gospel and, and heaven and hell and all this stuff, and they didn't disagree with anything I said. But just not right now. And, and trust me, trust me, James, before I die, I'll make sure I'm right with the Lord. Trust me. And what a nice thought to have. But the truth of the matter is none of us know the time, the date, the hour. We don't. And so what we see here is when this verse is telling us, whoever desires that him come to the water of life freely, if you're thirsty, now's the time to take a drink. Or as it says in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. And let's focus on that. So that's the salvation side here. Does anybody else have any quick questions, comments, anything we've covered thus far? Marcus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, this comment is from Jesus himself, because if you remember correctly, back at the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 1, Revelation was sent, was given by an angel that was sent to John. So what you have here in verse 16 is a little break at the end where Jesus is just reaffirming, I sent my angel, he has my stamp of approval to present this message and give this message to you, which then John is then passing on to us as the church. So it went from Jesus to the angel to John to us. That's how it kind of came to us then. Anybody else have any final things here? Yeah, Ryan. Right. And this actually, I think what you have right here is, and I'm trying to find the reference off the top of my head, where uh, Jesus said, I saw Satan, uh, Lucifer fall like uh, heaven, like a, like a star. And what I kind of look at that is, because this idea of him being the morning star is repeated numerous times through the scripture there in verse 16. This is actually a promise given back in Revelation 2 at the beginning. Is what I look at that is a couple different ways. Is first off, Satan is always trying to duplicate Christ. I mean, that's kind of what it kind of comes down to. The idea of the bright and morning star. I mean, think about it right now. And I'm not trying to make a comparison to this in an astronomical term, so please don't take it that way. But if we would go out tonight and look here to the west, 
you're going to see a very, very bright object, which is Venus, which is out right now. And that's why Venus is called, sometimes it's called the morning star or the evening star. When you get up in the morning and you're adjusting and you look out to the east sometimes in the morning and Venus is out, you can't miss it. I mean, that thing just lights up the entire sky. It's a beautiful thing. And I think the picture that you have right here of Jesus being the bright and morning star, the point is that he is supposed to be the center of everything we do. He is the focus of our attention. That's what our eyes automatically are drawn to is supposed to be Christ. And what you have here in verse 16, as we talked about before, the idea of Jesus sending the angel, etc. But he also reminds us, I'm the root and the offspring of David. He's Jewish. And this is something we've been hitting on Sunday mornings a lot in Romans 9, 10, and 11. He's Jewish. And so therefore, there's a, a special message here to Israel. We see the 144,000 getting saved in Revelation. We see uh, Israel being taken to the wilderness and being protected. You know, there's still this Jewish realm with this. And that's why verse 16 is so important there, is you have so many different things in there. Love that. Love that verse. That's a good verse. Yeah, Megan. Depends on which Jew you're asking. Um, I, you know, it's kind of interesting you, you mentioned that. I was actually just on the phone with a, uh, this week, I was just on the phone with the Jewish ministry that we're thinking about having come out here this fall and share some stuff with. And uh, this guy is a, uh, is a Jew for Jesus. He's a Jewish man, Jewish background, that has come to know Christ as his Savior. So there is a definite group of Jews that do know Jesus as their Savior. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about, is God has a remnant. Now, generally speaking, Israel as a nation is not a God-fearing nation in any way whatsoever. So there are many Jews today that don't even care about the Messiah. They look at their Jewish ancestry and history as just that. It's an ancestry and history. It's, a, it's an event we do. It's, it's something we were raised with. It really doesn't mean anything to them on a spiritual level. So there's that element of it. There's a lot of agnostic, atheistic Jews because they just look at it as a spirit, not a spiritual thing. But then there also is a group of Jews that are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And they're the ones that want to rebuild the temple. They're the ones that want to reset up the sacrifices. They still think their Messiah is coming. So to answer your question, this is how I should try. I, this is how I describe it. And please, I'm not being offensive to this group, so don't take it that way. But in, unless you were born and raised Lutheran, you don't realize that there's Missouri Synod Lutheran, ELCA Lutheran. There's uh, um, all these different types of Lutheran synods. So sometimes people say, well, they're just Lutheran. Well, what Lutheran are you with all those different groups? Well, if somebody is Jewish, well, what type of Jew are you? Are you the Jew that believes Jesus is the Savior? Or the Jew that believes that it's just a history event? Are you the Jew that's still waiting for your Savior? Or the Jew that doesn't care? So it's kind of a big statement just to say the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah because it depends what sect of Judaism you're in. I don't know if that helps or not. So, yeah, Tina, Isaiah 14, 12. See the power you have? You just say a verse and I go there. There it is. Thank you. Yes, how you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down the ground, you who weaken the nations. Thank you very much. Isaiah 14, 12. Thank you. Anybody else? John. And that's a fun study, and if you want to get into that, it's a really a fun study. Note that I didn't go to Job because I don't care what you say. But it, it's, it's kind of an interesting study because uh, that idea of star, that idea of star in, in the Old Testament carries a much bigger thing. It really does. Because if I remember correctly with Daniel, when Daniel kind of proved his amazing ability with the Lord, they started calling him a star. And, you know, we use that, stole that term today, that someone's a star. But, yes, that phrase star there, especially in the Old Testament, carries a much deeper meaning of possibly being a heavenly realm type thing there. What was the reference again? Job 38 what? Job 38 7. Job 38 7, if you want to look at that one there too. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Stars represent that heavenly realm. That's a good one there too in Revelation 12. It carries that heavenly realm there. Yeah, Kathy. Right. And once again, that morning star is supposed to be a reference to who Christ is. That's the true meaning, the ultimate meaning of it, is that he is the morning star. And that's why he will give, get the morning stars. That means they have that relationship with Jesus. That's why he says he's the bright in the morning star right there. And that's in Revelation, what did you say that was, 228? 228. 
Another one I just want to share with us since we're on this theme, Second Peter 1.19. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in hearts. And once again, you see that reference there to Christ again. Yeah, Rose, another reference there too. Good study. If anybody ever wants to get into that, what a fun little study that is. Obviously, the references just keep going and going and going with that. All right. So we covered verse 16 there. Um, real quick, verse 17. I like this repetition of the word come. We have the spirit and the bride saying come and let him who hears say come. You could kind of debate this a little bit, but to me it looks like who are they asking to come? They're asking Jesus to come, which I find fascinating. The Spirit and the bride are saying, come, return. Let him who hears this say, come, return. But before he wants to come, return, he says, let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water life freely. The reason I like this is here we are as the bride. We are the ones hearing this in verse 17 saying, come, Jesus, return. I was just talking to somebody this week. We were talking and praying about uh, Jesus returning. And, uh, you know, we were just talking about how much we want Christ to return. But yet every day we wait, it's more opportunity for people to get saved. I've been saved for 19 years. If Christ would return the first time I prayed that 19 years ago, how many people would not have had that opportunity to know Christ? For you that have been saved longer than I've been saved. When you prayed for the return of Christ, the longer he tarries and waits, the more opportunity for people to come know him. So when I see verse 17, we as the bride are saying, Lord, return. We are the one hearing this book saying, Lord, return. And Jesus just reminds us there in verse 17 saying, yeah, but those that are thirsty, I want them to come to me first. And it's that opportunity to come to know Christ. And is he coming? Jump ahead to verse 20 because we covered verses 18 and 19. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming quickly. And this has been repeated numerous times as we mentioned last week. Verse 7, behold, I'm coming quickly. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming quickly. Verse 20, I am coming quickly trying to make a point here. And that phrase, coming quickly, as we mentioned last week in the Greek, is where we get our English word tachometer. It shows how, how many RPMs in a car. The idea of almost flooring it, saying, okay, Lord, come quickly here. It's time to come. And one of the last things I just kind of wanted to finish with with this, and I love the end of this book, Amen, even so come, Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I love that the final really word that Christ is trying to say here in verse 21 is grace. What a neat thing. And I'll steal a point here from John Corson. I just read this not too long ago. He goes, if you look at the last word in the, in the Old Testament, which is in Malachi, the last word in the Old Testament is curse. And one of the last words here in the New Testament, verse 21, is grace. Oh, you got to love that. One of the last things that God wants to remind us of, the, one of the last words he wants to show us as we read the Bible, is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What a great thought to remind us about. Last verse I'm going to share on this. Can you go to 1 John chapter 2? As we just see this phrase being repeated again and again and again, behold, I'm coming quickly, behold, I'm coming quickly. Yeah, 1 John 2, please. 1 John chapter 2. I think this is a good verse to kind of end with, just to remind us of everything. First John 2, look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may, not, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The reason we talk about the return of Christ, as we've mentioned here in most every message, is hopefully now that we have this knowledge of his return, that this spurs us on to go be a light and a witness in all we do and say. We know how the story ends. We know what's coming up. We know what's happening. So that spurs us on to have our heart hurt for those that aren't saved to say, I know what the tribulation is bringing. I know what the Antichrist is bringing. I know what's going to happen. So I love you enough to tell you about Christ. But at the same time, too, the return of Christ also makes us look at ourselves, as verse 28 says, I don't want to be ashamed before man is coming. As we use the analogy out here a lot, if I know you're coming over, we're going to make sure the house is picked up because huh, we want it to look nice for you. I know Jesus is returning, so I want my house to be picked up, my temple. I, I want to be good for you, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to love you. So that way when you are, come back for me, I'm ready. I'm full. I'm accepting of this, and I'm excited about your return. And so as we know the return of Christ is coming, that spurs us on. 
to do what's right and to do what's good. And to be quite honest, as we know that Jesus is returning, hopefully that also takes some stress off us. One of the things I tell people all the time is they'll come up to me and say, oh, you know, i got this situation coming up next week. And they're really worked up about it. I'll sometimes say, well, you know what? Christ may return before next week. So let's not be worked up about it. Let's give it to the Lord in prayer. And you may not even have to face it. You may not even have to face it because Christ may come back. And so therefore, if I know he's returning at any moment, at any time, hey, why would I want to worry about anything? He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of the first and the last. I know how the story ends. I'm not going to be worried about it because he'll take care of it. And what a wonderful encouragement it is as we read this. As Revelation says, blessed are those who read the words of the book of this prophecy. We've been blessed going through this study. And what a wonderful book this is in. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here on Revelation before we close up? Yes, surely. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. We're going back to the way that God wanted it. You know, basically we screwed everything up around Genesis 3. And that's been 6,000 years ago and it's still pretty messed up. So God basically says, I'm going to start again and create a new heaven and a new earth, and this is the way it's been intended to be. As we said out here numerous times, the world that it is now is not what God intended for this to be. It does not mean that God was powerless and something happened. No, I'm not saying that at all. His original intention was for us to be in the Garden of Eden and health and happiness and walking with the Lord. That was his original intention. When we sinned, we messed that up. So it's neat to see that he goes back to the way it was supposed to be. Anybody else have any final questions or comments? Ron? That's a good point, too. That's a really good point. You know, we talk about him coming quickly, but we don't know when we're going to go. That, that's a really good point. I just uh, heard in a teaching this week, it's appointed for a man to die once and then to face the judgment. And the pastor is making the point. You don't know when that once is. You don't know. That's a very valid point. That's why today is the day of salvation. So, anybody else have any final things here before we close up? Yeah, David. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's something that's supposed to spur us on. And so therefore, you know, it's supposed to say, okay, now that we have this knowledge, we just don't sit at our house and twiddle our thumbs and wait for his return. It spurs us on to go out there and say, I want to be a light and a witness in all I do and say. Anybody else? All right, let's pray and we'll let you guys go then. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful study here in Revelation and what a blessing it's been. And uh, Lord, you know where we're going to go next week and excited to see what you have in store for that. But Lord, boy, we know you're coming back and we do say come quickly, Lord Jesus. We do. But Lord, at the same time too, as you tarry and you wait, it's more of an opportunity to get out there and serve and love and witness for you. So I pray as we all have unsaved friends and loved ones, help us be a light and a witness in all we do and all that we say to get out there and share the truth. We lift this up in your name. Amen. Once again, if you're interested in baptism, come let me know. And don't forget, uh, family events going on this Saturday. So I hope you can make it out for that. All right, guys, have a good weekend. God bless.